Hi, and welcome to Till Dysters Part. I'm Elsa. And I'm George. And we've got a really full schedule today, so let's get right on with... Oh, hello. Sorry. So, sorry to barge in like this, but Sorry to barge in. Could, could you move up a bit? We've got a lot more people to squeeze in here with us. Sorry, who are you? We're recording a podcast in here. Oh, sorry. Hello. My name is Mrs. Shawnee. I'm the new head of HR. We don't have a head of HR. We don't even have an HR department. Oh, you do now, you know, dear, you do now. All podcasts with more than five characters in them have to have an HR department these days. It's the law. And your cast has rather grown, hasn't it? This is a load of nonsense. I've been working in the nether realm for three millennia. And I've never needed an HR department. I'm here under protest. This is political correctness gone mad. Right, do the hand up on the chair there. Is this going to take long? I've got a voiceover edition at She Dies at 2.30. Oh, who's this? Allow me to pull a chair out for you, milady. Uh, uh, thank you. Tuppence Juniper Smythe. My friends call me Tuppy. I recently just started here doing the adverts, you know, just while I'm in between seasons at the glue. All right, if you could all, all sit down, I'll take a copy of this and hand it around. Yes, yeah, yes, that includes you, one joke, Jeff. All right. Yes, yes, this is a new code of conduct that I'm going to need everybody to read and sign. Code of conduct? We're a podcast. What do we need this for? Oh, well, there's been some complaints, you see, about the working environment from one of the team. We need to move towards this being a flens-free workplace. <laughs> if Twig's skin is flensed off, how will Twig work her phonuses? How will Twig like the comments? This is outrageous. It was only the top. I mean, it was just a bit of banter. Twig not like! <laughs> oh, you brute! Dear cry. There, there. <laughs> now this is why women shouldn't expect equal pay. They're far too emotional. They need a man's guiding hand. Well, you can guide your sweaty hand off my knee for a start. Mrs. Shawnee, can't you do something about all this? There's also a section in the policy on sexual harassment, and I will require all of you to sign before you can get back on the show. I'm not signing Anything? Hmm, I'm a sovereign citizen under the Magna Carta. You have no authority here, Mrs. Shawnee. No authority at all. Well, I never. What are her credentials? She doesn't know anything about role-playing games. Read the Dungeon Master's Guide. Read the Player's Handbook. Read them and understand them. Gee, she's kicked him out. Anybody else get any other objections? Right then, we're all signing. Yes, yes, thanks. Uh, yeah, yes, thank, thank you. Very, very nice. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's everything. Okay, you two can get on with the show then. I don't think this sort of thing happens on Critical Role. As I was saying, we've got a very full schedule today, including another elevator pitch and a second round of random world building. Yeah, so let's get on with things before Mrs. Shawnee calls us to any more meetings. Elsa, we're supposed to be doing another... Elevator pitch. Why instead are you sharpening a hockey stick? Oh, it'll all become clear later, darling. This podcast may be about to take a turn. <laughs> okay, so can I, can I do it? Can I do it? Go on. Okay, 
Okay, time for imagination. Okay, so George, I want you to imagine you've taken a bit of a career change and it's your first day in your new job as a teacher. So you've landed a plum role at a posh boarding school for young ladies. A, a higher class of ladies, splendid. So as your taxi pulls up to the impressive Georgian Manor House, you notice some of the girls playing lacrosse in the playing fields. How character building. Are they holding lacrosse sticks or halberds? Yeah, it must be a history lesson. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, your feet crunch across the gravel towards the main entrance and you press the doorbell. A jolt of electricity courses through your body. No bad wiring. A spear narrowly misses you from the playing fields as you stagger backwards. Health and safety issues. A window opens high above and some of the sixth form girls lean out, giggling. Oh. They start pelting you with water balloons full of pink dye while chanting something about fresh meat, fresh meat. Um, I'm a little scared now. The headmistress opens the front door. Gin in one hand and joint in the other. Hello, my dear, she says. Welcome to St. Jezebel's. Now, I feel if we have any American listeners, we might have just lost them. <laughs> it's This one isn't for you. Sorry. But we'll do our best to try and explain what we're on about. Because this is a game called Hellcats and Hockey Sticks. And it's based on Centrinians. For the benefit of those of you unfamiliar, Centrinians was a series of comic strips in the 50s and 60s, which was later converted into several films of varying quality that ran in the 60s and 80s and 2000s. I mean, the modern remake movies are a lot of fun. They've got a pretty good cast as well. You've got Gemma Arterton, Jodie Whittaker, Colin Firth's there, Russell Brand, and Rupert Everett plays the headmistress. Um, and that's something that's really important in all the films. The headmistress is always played by a man in drag. And obviously British people will understand the parallels with pantomime and just general campness. These uh, comics and the films that they span off are all about a private school of anarchic young ladies. But it's not what you might imagine of being some sort of like weird sexy fantasy it's not like that it's young ladies who are somewhere in between anarchic and murderous yeah so if you imagine if like you know dennis the menace or bart simpson was a schoolgirl, or even uh, something you might get like you know you don't remember recess do you remember the feral kindergarten kids imagine that only transplant them into a posh girls boarding school and you get the general idea. So Hellcats and Hockey Sticks is a game designed for, for recreating that, for playing the chaotic schoolgirls and the nonsense that they get up to. It's written by Andrew Peregrine, who I believe had some other credits for like Doctor Who Adventures, Time and Space, Seventh Sea, Vampire. 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 And it's published by Corone Design and Cubicle 7. So apologies again. Um, we have got the hard copy of this. It has unfortunately gone out of print. Uh, we'll keep doing this. Apologies. Um, you can get it again. Drive through RPG. It's on there for $12. We found it on eBay for a pretty reasonable price as well if you're wanting. It's not a hugely mechanically complex one, so getting it as a PDF wouldn't be totally impractical. And, you know, saves the trees. Absolutely. So you've got to essentially 
well, we came up with our own um, settings. Feel free to steal it. Um, again, it's based on St. Trinian's. We called our school St. Jezebel's Academy for Young Ladies, established in 1848. I believe the book has a, a default one of St. Arisian's. But no, we went with our own school. We gave it houses for the different girls to belong into so points could be awarded. We gave it a history involving what happened to it during World War Two. We even gave them a, a Del Boy Flash Harry style person they could go to for black market goods outside the school. Oh yeah, Chinese Eddie, who obviously had a really thick Glaswegian accent. Yeah, I mean, just to give you a little flavour of you know, the, the tone of this game, the houses, we, well, you know, we decided to go classy. We went with Bonnie for Anne Bonnie the Pirate. Shelley, from Mary Shelley, writer of Frankenstein. Then George just went off on his own little tangent and one of the houses is called Dunajew after the lady from Venus and Furs, and uh, Delorsange from Justine, Marquis de Sade. There is a skill in being classy and dirty at the same time. <laughs> so for key game props, all you really need are a pile of d6. Each player is not going to need more than about six. Character sheets and a quick reference are available in the book. The character sheets have a lot of skills on them, but they're relatively self-explanatory. All skills in this game are the subjects you would carry out at school. So chemistry, maths, physics. So it's like a report card. Yeah, so I point out like, you know, chemistry isn't necessarily chemistry. You can use chemistry to make explosives. Or if you're wanting to gamble or play the stock market, you'd want a high score in maths. Um, and then again, you can go slightly weirder. You know, religious studies can give you demonology or witchcraft. Yeah, yeah. There are some rules cover for things like mad science and necromancy and stuff, which, to be fair, isn't entirely outside the realms of the of the inspirational material, right? There's ghosts in at least one of the Centrinian mm, stories. True. And there's certain um, sort of cliques, so archetypes of schoolgirl that you can play so certain archetypes are naturally going to be better at certain skills and find it easier to advance them so a hockey girl is going to have an advantage to physical stats you've got the fixer so that's the kind of del boy spiv type you can be a goth you can be uh the charming one the bard is a sweetheart you can be a nerdy geek you can be a prefect who has an epic uh, skill you can summon a swarm of first years um what's the other ones you've got scientist you've got coquette which is the more sort of seductive one and you've got exchange student where the joke is that no one in britain thinks this school is an actual posh school they all know it's a death trap so the only classy people they can get are foreigners who read the prospectus and get the wrong idea or people who know the school is mental and send them intentionally so exchange students can include things like ninjas who have been trained here because if they can survive this schoolmate they can survive anything <laughs> yakuza boss sends his daughter here going yeah it'll toughen her up uh, game mechanics wise it's, it's pretty straightforward so if you have more points in a certain skill then the more dice you roll so the harder thing you're trying to do the higher roll you need to succeed i think you can sacrifice a couple of your dice out of your pool to raise every dice's number by one so if you have lots of dice you can have lots of chances or a couple of slightly bigger chances mm -hmm. depending on and yeah the core engine is as you say quite straightforward quite cartoony like you're not in real danger of like getting your head chopped off right, i mean whatever. based on an actual cartoon you know nothing too bad is actually going to happen to you so you know damage doesn't last too long 
I think the damage, even the damage levels are described like that, right? It's like it's slapped, battered, and trashed. Yeah, so I mean, don't don't be too worried. I mean, you can. We've played the same characters multiple times, even though like you know terrible things have happened to them. But it does again lend itself to that cartoon universe of being able to do larger than life stuff. Like one of the classic movies, the Centrinians girls steal a train. I mean, in our very first session, we did we not have a chase using a steamroller through the town centre? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't need to be as big as that. I mean, sometimes you'll just like throw out like a premise to us like there is a birthday party at a rival school and you have not been invited. It is your job to mess up their day. I was actually quite worried with what I discovered about some of the female players <laughs> in that as they immediately started coming out with suggestions like let's uh, let's let's sew her dress smaller so she thinks she's fat. Yeah, and let's like let's like take her really expensive high heels, saw through them, but not all the way, so they won't break immediately. Just when she's halfway through her first dance, a lot, a lot of baggage you guys are working out. Oh, I know. I remember, and they had uh, was it the wanted that they'd booked to play this girl's birthday party. We called the wanted's agent and swapped it out with Chris DeBarg. Yeah, classic. So yeah, right, the premise is actually very, very funny. There's lots of fun to be had. Your schoolgirls should be anarchic. They should be rude. They should be basically sticking two fingers up to what the, the classic image of what it means to be a nice young lady. That is very much baked into the premise. And especially when you combine it with the very British class themes, you know, the idea that this is a school for upper class, hoity-toity, well-bred ladies. The wives of politicians of tomorrow and instead, it's kind of like Hogwarts for riot girls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could easily make this more Harry Potter-esque or more Worst Witch-esque and give it a explicitly magical edge if you wanted to. You can e easily take it down that path, but it has to be a girls' school. That's part of the premise. Let's go Worst Witch. It's less turfy. Yes, there's <laughs> playing as male characters would remove, I think, part of the joy of this is there is a certain gender stereotype breaking charm to the mental image of four schoolgirls attacking a police officer with hockey sticks yeah that that becomes funny four boys doing that is an asbo <laughs> but yeah i mean one thing to bear in mind and one thing a real positive about the book is yeah again it's this very british humor the book is cute the artwork is very cute while being anarchic and cartoony, the schoolgirls are not presented as sexy. The artwork shows the girls fully covered. They're not in sexual poses. They're clearly very capable, having a good time. The writer specifically chose female artists throughout to try and maintain the characters and crucially make them as characters that everybody would want to play. I mean, even the front cover is a piece of art which is a model dressed in schoolgirl outfit. Now, in some other books, that would turn into a sub-page three cheesecake disaster area. But while she is still attractive, I put to you, she also looks badass. This successfully sells the idea of this girl is not going to pay attention to the rules. Oh yeah, she looks as if she's about to like trash something yeah. or set it on fire. The book itself, it, it's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Would, would it suit a kind of like newbie GM and new players? Yeah, I mean, the book's... Because the core mechanics aren't complex. To help set the tone, as well as that piece of artwork, there's a strange selection of quotes going from Mark Twain and Winston Churchill to Katy Perry and Cindy Lauper. 
and it's a selection of little stories basically anonymous volunteered stories from now adult women talking about when they were at school and some of the shenanigans they got up to to help remind us that whoever said girls were like quiet and peaceful hasn't met many teenage girls (laughs) I mean, we've always played it as a one-shot. Could you do a campaign? I mean, there are advancement rules to it. And I can definitely see, again, especially if you went in the more sort of worst witch-style idea, I can see doing a more like a whole school year. And if you're more interested in, say, a more kind of like anime approach, I could see doing a more seasons of it thing. But we've tended to do it as a little palate cleanser in between other games. Albeit with the same characters repeating, not asking too many questions about how old they must be now if they were teenagers when The Wanted were released and now they're still teenagers. Yeah, I may be sure my age a little bit there. Uh, and again, like when we initially pitched this to our group, there was a little bit of dragging of the heels and mm, I don't know how to play a girl. I mean, in their defence, their experience with teenage girls when they were teenage boys will not have been positive. They're a <sighs> bunch of nerds, right? It, it, asking them to get in the head of a teenage girl trust me they were trying to get in something of a teenage girl on many occasions and it wasn't working (laughs) let's keep it family friendly family friendly show um but yeah it's a bit of a mental leap but once they got there again a tremendous amount of fun was had it's the sort of game people will request year on year like you said as that palate cleanser in between big campaigns it's also been an interesting one for us offering to either new or minimally experienced role players Mm -hmm. a couple of our female friends it was a game they were interested giving a go because it didn't have the thognar the barbarian toxic masculinity archetypes lettered through it they could get either from directly from st trinians or from a related sort of media even like vicky pollard from little britain they could understand the idea of being a transgressive woman yeah i appreciate we have just lost more american listeners again this is something that british people will just it'll come naturally to them if you're looking for some inspiration you could try some of the carry-on films i mean even the craft you could go there there's deb's if you can find that online really funny film sugar rush the tv series again you know like harry potter worst witch just to sort of give you a general idea but the, the the core concept of St. Trinian's, I mean, the the the, food, the movie is great. The two thousands movie is a huge riot of fun. I, I would, I'd recommend it just to everybody. From a GM point of view, it's not too difficult to come up with a premise. The game comes with a very simple random generator at the back to help come up with story ideas. But as a rule, I found it quite easy to just be, you know, you drop as you were saying earlier. You just create a situation and kind of let the girls' chaos lead that way. What was that one with the boys' school next door? Oh, yes, King George's School for Boys. One of the boys went on a date with a St. Jezebelian girl because it was a dare to see if he could go on a date with her. Oh, and last till the end in one piece. Yeah, and you found out that he'd done it on a dare, so... I mean, he had to go. He had to go. So, if I remember rightly, we found out that him and all his pals were members of this really posh golf club that didn't let women in. So, obviously, we trashed the golf club and blamed it all on them. I think you drove around the golf course in a car. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a a golf cart-related shenanigans. Yeah. And then our most recent adventure, we had a James Bond-esque spy who was trying to keep an eye on one of your teachers who he thought was a a Russian agent so you attempted to disguise 
like a six foot tall Timothy Dalton look like as a 14 year old girl didn't go so well but you know the mental image is, is amusing I mean you could even have things like zombies invade centrinians that's not out with the realms of possibility no, no. again the rules do include cover for like demon summoning necromancy mad science if you could have the girls put their favorite puppy's brain inside the body of an orangutan shaped robot that is totally workable. So yeah, it, this game's a great laugh. It's it's not intense. It's really fun to run. I mean, I, I always got the impression that you enjoyed running it a lot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Hellcats and Hockey Sticks. Great fun to run. Really recommend. Like I said, available on Drive Through RPG, or you can get it on eBay as well. Elsa, are you chewing gum? Uh, uh, maybe. Well, I hope you brought enough for everyone. We'll be right back. After this word from our sponsor. If you're hungry for taste and adventure, then you need to visit the Dungeon Grill. I'm Colonel Thognar, and I've combined my two loves, beheading the unholy monstrosities that dwell beneath Castle Ferrarosa and sending their accursed souls back to the abyss, and also olive oil to give you a dining experience you'll want again and again. Everyone knows traditional adventure foods, cheese, biscuits, Dwarf bread, slime molds, the flesh of your dead comrades when you were stuck in the frozen north, alone, miles from civilization, and so hungry. So, so hungry. Victoria was already dead. Nobody could blame you, could they? As long as you never told another living soul that you'd done it, you'd eat the meat of a fellow human. God's help you, you had licked the last juices off that bone you'd been so hungry. But at the Dungeon Grill, we serve you the other, more varied tastes of the dungeon. Our acclaimed chefs take prime cuts of monster meat, seasoned with a blend of herbs and spices taken from across the plains of existence, and they serve them to you with sandwiches, steaks, and goujons so good, you'll swear they could take levels of paladin. Our menu currently includes Owlbear Omelette, Dire Toad in the Hole, The Beholder Family Bucket, Gelatinous Cube Sunday, Tarasque a la Ronge, Pumpkin spiced purple worm pie, black pudding, black pudding, toasted flump s'mores, and of course, the famous Hill Trail on a Roll eating challenge. Can you finish eating the triple meat patty burger before it regenerates into a fully grown and combat ready trill? Winners get their picture on the wall and a commemorative I Trilled the Dungeon Grill t shirt. Thanks, darling! And if you're an adventuring party looking to earn some cash and get a food discount, why not get it in our new affiliate program? It's called You Make Em Fly, We Make Em Fry. Just bring along a fresh to kill creature and we'll pay you for them tasty, tasty flags and give you a 10% off voucher cooked for any meal. But remember, we don't accept humanoid corpses for legal reasons. Victoria was humanoid. She was a smart girl. A thief. I can still hear her laughing in the breeze in cold, dark nights. So, stop settling for trail rations, half-filling mashed potatoes, and that Starbucks that inexplicably can still be found even in this pre-industrial civilization, and come to the Dungeon Grill. The Dungeon Grill. In Greyhawk, Barovia, Specularum, Sigil, the city of Brass, and our latest location by the shores of Lake Carcosa, where the King in Yellow sings. Familiars eat free. Victoria, Please stop haunting us. There's nothing we can do now.
Okay, so you might remember back to episode three where we did our pick and mix segment. That's a way of coming up with character concepts, world building ideas, maybe encounters or NPCs for your game. If you're a little bit stuck in a creative rut and you just want to do something different, this is a formula we've used loads of times in our game. And all you need to do it yourself is to look at your own bookshelf or own DVD collection. So... In the same way that you might describe a film or a TV show by comparing it to two other things, by saying it's, you know, Spawn meets Ghost Watch or Casanova meets High Plains Drifter, we're going to take a list of 20 books, films, computer games, whatever. We're going to roll dice and we're going to try and combine two concepts together to come up with a character idea, a scenario or similar. Yeah, and you can try this at home, again, with stuff that you've got. You know, some of them work better than others, and we'll try and figure out how they would fit into different game systems. So, Ilsa, you are holding the 20-sided dice and have a big stack next to you, so why don't you do the first roll for today? Okay, so I roll... I rolled a 15, which is Highlander. Oh, yeah. Highlander. Okay. Original Highlander. There are no other films. There's definitely not a Highlander 2. We don't talk about Highlander 2. I really think you should watch Highlander 2. I will not watch Highlander 2 because it doesn't exist. I refuse to acknowledge it. Anyway, what do you get, George? I got 16, which isn't very imaginative, I realise. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, so you want to combine Highlander and the good, the bad, and the ugly as a concept. Okay, well, the obvious thing here is that Highlander is a story about immortals who exist scattered about various times, and there's no reason they couldn't exist in the Wild West. Absolutely not. And there's obviously that supernatural element to Highlander. It's not really quite explained who the immortals are or how they come to be. It might be if you'd seen Highlander too. It doesn't exist, George. But there there are some elements of the supernatural to Western, oh, definitely. to Westerns, especially the spaghetti Westerns. Oh, definitely, depending on the Westerns you're talking about. If you look at something like High Plains Drifter or Pale Rider, there's very much a touch of the otherworldly to some of the characters. Indeed, it's quite common to see cowboy role-playing games lean quite heavily into the fantastical elements. Deadlands is the obvious example, probably the biggest Western role-playing game, but also one which puts zombies and magic pretty front and centre. You've got a few alternate history games like Aces and Eights. There's not actually many straight Westerns, like historical, for want of a better term, Western role-playing games, but you could argue that there's not many straight historical Westerns when so many of them have a, a little touch of the of the otherworldly about them. and. I suppose similar with Once Upon a Time in the West, where there's this undercurrent of, yeah, it's his brother coming to avenge him. Yeah, definitely his, definitely his brother coming to avenge him. It's not, not him. Not, no, definitely not a ghost. Definitely not a ghost. Absolutely not. That's not that uncommon. And that does tie into these, this, it does tie into Westerns being the sort of American folk story. It's filling a similar niche. You want to get all, like, you know, RC and, like, up yourself. Oh, when have you ever done that, darling? It's maybe filling a similar niche to like Western stories of King Arthur and what have you in being a sort of communal folk legend tapping into these central zeitgeist concepts. 
I mean, central to Highlander is the sword. You know, Connor McLeod has his claymore, and to you know, to kill another immortal, you have to decapitate them. That's how you drain their power. Now, I'm not sure I can see Clint Eastwood riding around on a horse with a sword at his side. Obviously, the classic weapon of choice for a Western is a gun. It's not it's, it's not a huge thing to change the, the legend that you have to shoot them through the head rather than cut the head off. They could shoot each other and then behead them when they're down, I guess. I suppose, yeah. Unless um, he carries that weapon with him and only uses it on immortals. This is assuming you're literally going Highlander. And you could take this little step further. If you just accept Highlander as meaning immortals, mm-hmm. that covers a whole range of other kind of supernatural um, types. The obvious one I'm thinking of here is vampires, who also live for very long periods of time, could be alive in the Old West, and can only be killed by very specific methods. I don't think it's a huge leap. I mean, there's been several World of Darkness fan products which attempted to paste in Highlander-style immortals into the same rules as vampire, because they're not that far apart. In fact, I think World of Darkness did have a book for vamp, sorry, for werewolf of all things, which put them in the Wild West. Oh, actually, yeah, that would work quite well. Yeah, werewolves in particular, and like super um, superheroes. Does DC Comics had a whole run of fifties comic book characters who were sort of supernatural superheroes, but also were cowboys? You know, um, well, it's Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex is the one that has survived and has reappeared, including in space. It's a long story, but you could absolutely use that as a basis for a Wild West game where everybody has some sort of like immortality and other powers. I mean, for example, I'm thinking of Unforgiven, which is the the old cowboy rides into town. It's not a crazy theory of having an immortal cowboy who's this sort of legendary figure you know the man with no name that you call when something has gone wrong and he's not entirely human or even alive and again going back a step to the me being up myself you could argue that man with no name cowboy riding at time when we need us most is not that different to arthur once and future king riding out when we need us most you can tap some of those same notions of when things are at their worst somebody will come note from future george i forgot to mention that ilsa and i and our chums have played a western game before a relatively obscure free game called big hearts in big country we'll ask twike to put a link up to it in the social media it uses cards dice and also a bandana for resolution I now return you to past George and Ilsa, who I can't promise are going to make any more sense. Also consider we are talking entirely about cowboys and, frankly, white people. Wild West has a bunch of other people that live in it. And if you want to reclaim these stories as being a purely cowboys and savages narrative, you could absolutely have a bunch of white boys arrive and discover some immortal creatures are protecting the Native Americans and aren't best pleased by them arriving. I'm now imagining, like, 
again, werewolf maybe fits into that a little bit with like animal spirits. But depending on how you want to look at it, the vampires might be rendered more as the tribe of Native Americans give up a blood tithe periodically. But in return, I will look after you. I mean, oh, I mean, if you absolutely positively must bring in Twilight here, yes, I've read them all. Don't judge me. Um, you know, there is that element of um, you know, the Native Americans having these ties to werewolves. Um, the supernatural elements do actually work quite well together. I mean, you know, I'm just going to say it. See, if you take out Bella and Edward and that whole ridiculous romance plot, the actual world building of Twilight is quite good fun. I, I don't apologise for that. There, I've said it, right? Anyway, back to Highlander. But yeah, imagine if, imagine if the Native Americans are protected by supernatural guardians. If, like, Crow Spirit or what have you, your players may actually be the a some sort of supernatural shapeshifter or something to whom that name is attributed. And what if your Abraham Van Helsing equivalent is that, like, the white people pay for some mysterious Dutch gunslinger who comes to town with silver bullets? This isn't really related, but just in the back of my head, I've just been thinking about Highlander. I can't separate Highlander from the music from the film score and you could say the same about the good the bad and the ugly the Morricone score yeah. is just so iconic how could you separate the two well, well what if you tried I'm just imagining instead of the ecstasy of gold you've got a Brian May guitar solo over the top I mean I have for some games made little like mixes that we've played during the game when we played a Wild West game I had several spaghetti western soundtracks queued up to play in order when we did a sort of more science fiction-y uh, horror game, I had soundtracks from like Aliens and Blade Runner to play in the background. If your group are up for it, I can absolutely see an interesting clash between describing dusty 1800s deserts and playing, I don't know... Another one bites the dust? No, that doesn't work. But you get the idea. I'm just thinking as well that you know, we've been talking about you know character concepts and you know, the man with no name who is a if not a hero then an anti-hero but what about an antagonist so what if you were in a wild west setting and then suddenly out of the desert rides the kurgan i know his name if you instead want to see the man with no name as anarchy arriving to civilization Maybe you guys hung a dude because he was 100% deserving it. Suddenly this mysterious vengeance spirit has arrived to ruin your day. But yeah, imagine if you guys executed a criminal who was definitely a nuisance to town and then the next day he rises up from the grave because nobody thought to behead him and he's really, really angry at you. You've now turned into if you, a slasher film with the Kurgan as the villain. I am I am 100% for this. I mean, I am 100% for Clancy Brown just doing anything. What, what if, like, Freddy and Jason are, like, Highlander Immortals? Has anyone ever cut their heads off? I'm now just wondering, um, speaking of Freddy, you know the, the promo video for Princes of the Universe where Freddie Mercury sword fights McLeod? I am now seeing, like, a Sergio Leone... Um, Freddie Mercury versus Clint Eastwood, like standoff, like staring contest. 
I feel that when we're getting to fantasy music videos, we've probably reached the, as the limit of our useful content here. So <laughs> why don't you roll up one more pairing for us? Okay. So I roll five, which is the only computer game we've got on here. George chose this. For the GameCube, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. Now, if you've never played this, this is one of my all-time favourites. Young girl, Alex Roybus, finds a mysterious book that her grandfather has left in his will. She reads the pages and you, player character, play the different stories in this book, the Book of Eternal Darkness. If you are into role-playing games, then an easy comparison to you would say that it has a very Call of cthulhu E vibe of multiple little historical one-shots that tie together into a story about ancient elder gods squabbling over mankind. And as she reads this, she realises that she is the final piece in this story and that she has to combine all the knowledge. And crucially, you've got a health stat, a magic stat and a sanity stat. And as the sanity stat decreases over the course of the game, the visuals of the computer game can start to go weird. And we're going to combine this with something that will require less explanation because I've just rolled a three. And if I'm right, Ilsa, is three not James Bond? Yep, it's On Her Majesty's Secret Service by Ian Fleming, to be precise. Okay, so... No, no, James Bond meets Cthulhu. James Bond meets Cthulhu is not that big a leap. So there is a role-playing game already that combines espionage with a supernatural element, and that's Knight's Black Agents. You can tell it's classic because it's named after a line from Shakespeare, which is spies versus vampires, which plays the idea of you have discovered that your like spy agency or your government are compromised by vampires, and you are now going to use your tools to beat them. And the schemes of some James Bond films are so over the top. I mean, some of them just want money, but some of them, I mean, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Blofeld's plan is that if they don't pay his money, he will end all animal life on Earth, starving everyone to death. That is that is quite Cthulhu God-style bring about a new age of chaos and order. It's not that big a leap for Blofeld's plan is to, like, rise sunken Ryla from the depths or to finally perform the King in Yellow in Monte Carlo. We actually watched On Her Majesty's Secret Service the other night. And you know, while we're on unpopular opinions, I'm, I'm just going to keep going with this. I don't think Lazenby's the worst Bond. He's not the worst Bond. Far from it. I really enjoyed it. I think he was ahead of his time. In the 60s, he did not go down well, but I believe modern critics are more kind to him and more kind to the film in general. And of course, Diana Rigg is the best Bond girl. I don't think that's up for debate. I think I think you can make a very strong case that the only serious opposition is probably the other one that was in the 60s TV show, The Avengers. But yeah, I, I can definitely see it is not a huge leap to give a government... Well, I mean, Delta Green, there is a sort of setting for government, more torchwoody, it's government agents versus... But the government agents who explicitly know they are fighting the supernatural. But I can see doing a more mundane espionage martinis thriller i can see i can see jason bourne or emma peel going about their business thinking they're just dealing with a millionaire or 
uh, Russian spy syndicate and suddenly discovering that they're up against somebody who wants to bring Azathoth back into the universe. I'm wondering as well, part of Eternal Darkness's shtick is playing in different time periods, different settings, different countries. Often you go back to places that you've been before, but as a different character, like hundreds of years later. So it's not one that's like a medieval monastery and then you play it again in World War One, where that monastery is being used as a field hospital. That's right. So it's the same physical setting, but the context has changed and you bump into things that are a consequence of what happened a hundred years or so in the past. And of course, James Bond jetting around the place in very exotic locations, you know, going all over the world in the course of one story isn't necessarily you know that works in his character you could i suppose you could also just look at it as you could have like a spy operating in the 60s and a spy operating in world war Two, and a spy operating in 1990 and a spy operating today possibly connected by family or allegiance or whatever but these stories might dovetail together you might play out the beginning of the cult and the cult achieving success in lithuania and then the cult finally finishes building its big temple and doing its excavations in Beirut until it all comes together. You could play lots of little one-offs, but that slowly connect together to reveal this plan that's going over a century. I think as well there's the magic element of Eternal Darkness. Um, Part of the, the gameplay is that you find different magical runes over the course of the game and by plugging them together you can make different and more complex spells having your secret agents who will come across various artifacts and then halfway through the game realize the significance of them and that they can use them even if they're untrained i mean how different is that from you know james getting like the ridiculous pen from q that turns out to be you know a, a bomb and a laser pointer and a remote control for his car i mean Funny you mentioned the equipment. A lot of horror games assume that you have very limited skills and equipment, that the horror comes from you being woefully unprepared to deal with the problem. And that's something I would say about um, Lazenby's Bond, is there's quite a few times where he is out of his depth or struggling. He's not always the cool and collected Bond of later years. I mean, since we've gone for the book, that's even more true, since book Bond is not quite as over the top as film Bond could be, especially in the 70s. The book in On Her Majesty's Secret Service does mention that the reason James Bond wears a Rolex isn't just because he likes to be show-off and bling. It's that the worst comes to worst, he can take it off his hand, put it around his fingers and use it as an improvised knuckle duster. It's quite gritty at points. Even in the film, the only gadget he has is a safe cracking gadget. doesn't have anything really out of the way. But I can see that it might be interesting to fight Deep Ones or Hounds of Tyndalos or whatever, not with... I've got I've got a pistol or I've got a baseball bat, but I've got a watch that shoots lasers. Well, that's going to be really useful against a tentacle monster. Well done. I am required to ask what terrible Bond girl names there will be to tie into the Call of Cthulhu. Is there going to be like Udolzo tentacles? Suckers galore. Suckers galore. Get in the game Eternal Darkness. We do get characters of varying competency levels. There's one character who's like an overweight doctor who does have pistols 
but who runs very slowly and I think has to takes ages to reload the pistols. There's another character who's like a Gulf War veteran and is substantially fitter and substantially better equipped for the task. But doesn't have as high a magic score. No. So this is a case where you might want to use a game system like Unknown Armies. I mean, I know it wasn't necessarily our best game ever, but we used Unknown Armies to do a sort of Indiana jones government agents hunting for a magical artifact where magic and intelligence mattered as much as punching things. You could probably paste that into a James Bond setting without too much difficulty. The big difficulty would be the sanity element of it. In Eternal Darkness, if your sanity drops too far, the game world will change around you. The music will change. Your character will start seeing things like blood dripping down the walls. So basically any time you encounter a monster, you lose some sanity. And I think anytime you cast certain spells, you lose sanity. Mm. And these start to become weird fourth wall breaking things because it's a computer game. If your sanity is low, it starts claiming that it, it's deleting your save files when it's not. Or... It starts claiming that you've just finished playing the demo of Eternal Darkness and look forward to the full game coming soon. And weird things like that. How would you build that into a role-playing game? Especially a game where you expect a James Bond character to be quite unruffled by most things. Well, here's where the fact that we've picked on Her Majesty's Secret Service is relevant. Roger Moore never bats an eyelid, mostly because he can't move them. Just one eyebrow. Ayo. Worst Bond, just saying it. And and Pierce Brosnan is mostly coming out with quips and adjusting his tie. Lazenby ends his film, clutch it. De- I'm, I'm actually I'm about to spoil the film. It came out in 1969. <laughs> he ends I, I his think, film. I think we can spoil it by this point. He ends his film clutching his wife who has been shot and saying, no, 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 she's fine. She's fine. We have all the time in the world. She's fine. And of course, modern Bond, Daniel Craig's Bond, you can make a case for is gaining and losing sanity over the course of his films. He is quite perturbed by some of the events at Hampton and Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. He properly has a breakdown. I mean, over the course of the whole film, but in a couple of particular moments, he has a breakdown. Maybe James Bond is a less easy character to see it but lots of spy things like tinker taylor soldier spy or like the born supremacy have much more emotionally fragile characters and i can see how you can play them being crushed maybe less going mad and more being crushed by the futility of their job they already don't trust people they've already had to lose what matters to them to succeed at their job if they do all this only discover that it doesn't matter because in 50 years time somebody will try and summon Cthulhu again anyway. You could get into the defeatist angle and James Bond's alcoholism and womanising could be argued as manifestations of how he's dealing with his like PTSD. Sorry that got dark but again we, we, we managed it. I mean God help us we actually managed that one. I, I was sceptical but we did it. So, yeah, so there's some thoughts for you to have on how you would combine some very strange pairings together. And again, you can just do it by going to your DVD shelf, grabbing two random copies of whatever comes to hand, and then just 
go nuts, do your best, see what you can do, bounce ideas off your player group and see what you can do. It doesn't need to be a, a huge, massive concept. This can even just be a little idea for an NPC you meet in the pub, but it will add some colour and some flavour to your game that your players might not be expecting and it might give them a little laugh if they recognise the, the tropes and the jokes as well. So we'll be back next time when we'll do the same thing. Elsa will roll dice and then, well, will you expect me to talk? No, George, I expect you to die. And that's the end of another episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to be notified about future episodes. And of course, we always appreciate it if you leave us a review. As ever, you can contact us via email. That's tilldicepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at tilldicepodcast for regular updates and other bits and pieces. Mm, and remember you need to credit all the music you used as well, darling. It saves me a lot of paperwork. Yes, yes, we know. Our theme tune is Funny Adventures by Winnie the Moog. And additional music this episode was Degenerate Blues by Alexander Nakarada and The Evil Inside by Dark Fantasy Studio. All used under Creative Commons Attribution Licence. And the logo. <sighs> yes, and our logo was created by Neil Slorens. You can find him at Art by Neil Slorens. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another steady drip of sonic geekery delivered direct to your cochlea. Bye! Bye. I honestly don't know why they bother. It's hardly the archers, is it? <laughs>